Hey, Alicia, you got your mug? Hey, Jamie girl, I got my glass. Let's get into this black tea. This is black tea, your bottomless cup of empowerment, political education, and black excellence. Every month, we bring you raw and uncut news, spilling the tea on all of the latest hot-button social issues and events for the culture. Tippers, we are back with episode eight. Eight, Jamie. Woo! Eight. And child, the tea is hot. FTL politics have been something to watch. We had the longest board of aldermen meeting on record for the past seven years, coming in just short of 12 hours. This was on July 13th and had to do with one of the largest pools of funding St. Louis has ever received. And the opinions on what we should and shouldn't do with the funding and what criteria should be in place was widely debated. Yeah, say that, Alicia. That episode, that meeting, y'all, if you want to go watch it on YouTube, take out two days of your time because you're going to need a bathroom break and everything. I tried to sit there and watch it. It was just it was just crazy. But it's actually really important because. The conversation was about the fact that St. Louis will be receiving $517 million in federal funds from the American Recovery Act for COVID relief. And for those of y'all that aren't familiar, the COVID relief funds are part of the government's plan to provide pandemic assistance. You may remember seeing on CNN in the fall all that debate from Congress over how to solve the pandemic relief funds. Yeah, it's that. They passed it. The dollars are going out to the city. And now it's St. Louis's turn to figure out what we're going to do with all this money. Some of the things the bill was supposed to support our homeowner assistance, rental assistance, small business credit, and fiscal, which means financial recovery. And all of that will be important later. But let's get back to the money, y'all. This is $517 million we're talking about. This is money we've known was coming for a while and was a heavy talking point during the mayoral race. $517 million is enough that if implemented right, could cause some transformative and very much needed changes in St. Louis. Mayor Jones announced very shortly after her win was official that she was starting a stimulus advisory board. This board consisted of community leaders across various sectors, including local politicians and business and nonprofit leaders. The goal of this board was to bring all these leaders from these various sectors that make community happen, get their opinions and their thoughts on how the money should happen. In addition to the stimulus board, Mayor Jones' plans also included um, data from online survey responses from almost 3,000 community members and community canvassing. Then President Lewis Reed, who is the current president of the Board of Aldermen, uh, introduced the board bill. And that bill was supposed to propose how all of the public hearing comments and the comments from the advisory committee all went together uh, to actually implement these ideas. And to explain some legal procedure for y'all, typically what happens is the mayor has the ability to convene this advisory committee and get all the recommendations, but it takes the Board of Aldermen to actually pass legislation. And legislation is how things get put into policy. So all the stuff that the mayor's advisory committee worked on was able to be taken into consideration, but the board had to approve it. Um, but then what ended up happening is the president, Lewis Reed, had his own bill that he kind of pulled back from when Mayor Cruzman was in charge that kind of had some stuff, but pretty much was the original plan. And that is what went to the board of aldermen. And so that's the situation that we're at. 
Right. At this point, the plan that the Stimulus Advisor Board came up with, as well as the planning process that Board Bill 2 proposes, is in negotiation. Um, the President of the Board of Aldermen and Mayor Jones, as well as Comptroller Darlene Green, will all be in negotiation, um, figuring out what, you know, what ultimately will get appropriated. And the Board of Aldermen is about to undergo their own process, um, which is supposed to include community members. Um, as well as representatives from those three folks who are on the appropriations committee to figure out, you know, the final negotiations of how the stimulus money will be spent and what, um, you know, exactly how it will go. Right. And there's been a lot of back and forth, y'all. A lot of this person wants this, this person wants this. So many articles coming out literally every week about this. And we could get into the major differences, but we thought instead of explaining all the jargon and stuff, we could just sort of act it out for you how we see everything that's been going on. So I'm going to be President Reed and Alicia, you can be Mayor Jones and we'll act this out. Sippers, please know that what's about to come out of my <laughs> mouth is not my own personal views. This is just my political interpretation and analysis, and I do not share the perspectives that I'm about to say from my own person. Alicia, you can feel how you feel. <laughs> right? I mean, it's the same for both of us. These are not either of our personal thoughts necessarily. These are interpretations of what is happening and what's going on and if you go to youtube and you go to the local st louis youtube channel page you can actually see exchanges similar to what we about to have <laughs> live and in action for real like no this is how it really goes okay so <clears throat> mayor jones i just feel like the reason that we should go no with face in there i'm not going Y'all can imagine. Okay. okay. Imagine. I just feel like uh, the bill that we have proposed is actually going to be the most beneficial for the city. I pretty much agree with everything that you've put out there. Currently, what we have is appropriating it how you want to appropriate it. I just feel like this particular piece, which is about development on the north side community and is $33 million, is important. And you always sit here talking about how you want to develop the north side. Here I am trying to do that. What's the problem? So first of all, I'm not just talking about how I want to develop the north side. As I said, I was ready on day one and okay. I put together an entire stimulus advisory okay. board of leaders across various sectors to help us figure out how to do it. And I went to the community and asked the community what they wanted via online and community canvassing. So I'm not just talking about it. I am trying to do it. And you are making that very difficult. Um, I don't see how I'm making it difficult considering I have put a whole bill together with the outline of specific communities where we can put these dollars in. Here I am trying to bring development to the north side, bring development by Kings Highway, bring development by Jefferson in these neighborhoods directed dollars for dollars. And every time I put this up to y'all, y'all telling me no. Okay. I don't understand. Okay, so uh, President Reed, let's start with the fact that you introduced your bill on the first day that I took office. We let's, didn't talk let's about start that. that. That we you introduced mm -hmm. your bill on the very first day that I took office was the very first day that you introduced your bill. So you seem to not ever be very interested in what my administration or the people who voted for me, the mayor, but the did mayor, not, did the not, people who voted for me, the mayor, you not might, let me might want. You not let let's, me finish. Let's start there because I said let's start there, and then secondly, let's go to how I invited you to be on the stimulus adv advisory board and you said that you wouldn't come and then you said that you would send a representative and you did not attend any meeting it would have been because so I nice knew exactly how y'all was about to it do i know we, how we would have communicated doing. 
and we would have worked together to serve the city as we should, okay? And then third, let's talk about how these funds are supposed to be direct relief COVID funds. They're not supposed to be for development. I do believe in equitable development. I want this city to grow. I want the best for all of our people. But this money is from the federal government, and it does have regulations and limitations and stipulations right. that we have but, to follow. But who said that we're not following the regulations? First of all, I want to get to your comment about me not attending because I feel like y'all have been disrespecting the board of aldermen from day one, having back room, room 200 back. meetings that aren't in the process and aren't part of the policy. Y'all are supposed to what? recommend the board of aldermen puts into place through legislation. That's what we do. Y'all going around the process. I'm That's why don't nobody want to work do, with y'all. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. And I feel like, First of all, y'all saying that what we're trying to do is illegal. It's not illegal because the federal government has to approve it. We are putting what we want to spend out there. If they got a problem, they're going to tell us the problem. So as elected officials and as fiscal people in this city who are responsible for the fiscal health and the financial health of this city and who are you know we're, we're financial stewards of this city we have a responsibility before we propose it to propose things that we know fit in the guidelines and the limitations where in the federal guidelines and limitations does it say that we are supposed to use this money for development because it says we're supposed to do covid relief and you know who needs relief from coronavirus the north side community absolutely the community i agree that which are is why i'm trying to do direct relief payments that's exactly why i'm trying to do and direct then that, relief then, payments then we put them back in there agree. then we put them back in there we did yes thank, thank you, you for making that one of the most challenging parts of the bill it's just very interesting that you're willing to give 33 million dollars to development but 500 dollars to individuals in the city who have who are going through the struggle and are still going through the struggle that the pandemic comes with that's too much we can't do that because that's, you can give 500 dollars, or you can actually recreate and build up a community that has been in need for a long time this is phase one of the money we still have more money people coming. need money the federal today government has an we infrastructure bill going today. where we we probably will get some money to the city for development and i have a whole administration and whole sectors of the city dedicated to developing this city equitably that is not what this money is for well i don't want to do nothing with that okay and scene <laughs> <laughs> so that is Zippers, pretty much how things have been going. Yeah. Go look it up for yourself. It's been very interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, so we're going to keep y'all up to date. The border alderman is on recess now up until September. Um, and so we all going to be following to see, um, you know, what happens, how the money is spent. I think, you know, what I am happy to see is that we are having more conversation than I can recall us ever having where we are talking about, you know, how should we go about development? It seems like we all agree that we need to do it differently. We have different ideas and what differently looks like. It seems like we are having conversations about the idea of giving money, um, to people directly for money. And we are also having having conversations about what it looks like to invest in youth and how should we handle the unhoused part of our population. So I'm very happy to see that, you know, at least these conversations are happening. We're not all in agreement. We never will all be in agreement, but hopefully we can get into agreement enough to get the direct leaf and the funds and the leadership to the folks in the city that desperately needs it. Absolutely. Because the priority is making sure that this happens and this happens soon because this is the era that we are in. So appreciate that. This episode of Black Tea is brought to you by the Divided City Initiative. The Divided City is a joint project of the Center for the Humanities and the Sam Fox School, College of Architecture and Urban Design at Washington University 
right here in St. Louis. The Divided City is funded by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. On today's Community Spotlight, I am honored to welcome the Neil Richardson on the show with us. Neil is honestly a go and a hero of mine in the real estate and finance industry. He's doing amazing things for the community and has been and is even doing any more now that he's the new director of SLDC. That's the St. Louis Development Corporation for those of y'all that don't know. He's a trailblazer and a leader and an advocate for the community and we are so excited to have him on today. Welcome, Neil. Thank you so much. I, I might just put that on repeat when I wake up every morning. <laughs> <and> just <laughs> ready to go. Um, no, I really appreciate this opportunity and all of the kind words. And um, Jamie, you and Alicia invited me to the show to talk about, I guess, all the tea that there is in real estate development and finance, specifically yeah. in St. Louis and beyond. So I'm excited for the opportunity. Well, we are excited to have you. Um, I'll give a uh, the people a little bit of a brief bio of you for those that don't know in detail. Neil was born and raised here, y'all, so always a favorite for us. We yeah. love having St. Louis homegrown people on the show. He is a father and a mentor and was the vice president and director of the Business Impact Group at U.S. Bank. Shout out. He is also the co-founder of Dream Builders for Equity, um, a great organization here that does advocate work for young men, teaching them about finance and development and also teaching them how to invest in their own community. He'll tell y'all a little bit more about that. And I don't, want, I don't want to interrupt the intro. I appreciate the intro, but we also shouting out our young black women as well yes. through Dream Builders for Equity. So I definitely don't want to leave them out there. Critical component of the program, and they actually um, help really lead and trailblaze for and show the way for our young black men. So it's, it's important to make sure that we recognize black women in this as well. Absolutely. Appreciate Amen. that. Appreciate that. He also holds a BS in business administration and an MBA uh, with emphasis on finance from Webster. And his latest and newest endeavor, which we're all excited to hear about, is being the executive director of St. Louis Development Corp, as I mentioned, which is a division in the city of St. Louis that handles business, real estate, economic development, and all those things. So he's really just a boss now. We're so happy for you to be here. No, I'm, I'm, again, I'm excited. This is, <laughs> y'all the bosses. I'm just here to, to participate today. I'm I'm here to learn from you all, so I'm going to just sit back and sip my black tea. Amen. <laughs> Amen, as you should. So, Neil, you're a young, successful black man in finance and community development. From being a leader in a multidimensional organization to building your own to heading one of the most important entities in all things community and development and being appointed by Mayor Jones to do so. <clears throat> <laughs> it's all pretty impressive um what got you to this point in your career and what is something that people may not know about you man so it's it's really surreal and I was just talking to a few of my good friends that have been on this journey with me one of which is Michael Woods the other co-founder of Dream Builders for Equity and it's really an out-of-body experience and very surreal uh growing up in the city of St. Louis I'm in a low, very distressed community, low-income household, grew up in the Lewis Place neighborhood. Uh, for those who may not be familiar, um, the Lewis Place neighborhood is 99% African-American. Um, the unemployment rate is three times the level of the St. Louis region. Um, mm -hmm. In addition to that, the average household income in that neighborhood is just 20 $1,000 and about only uh, 10 to 12% of the individuals that live in that community 
um, actually have a bachelor's degree. Um, so it's, again, very distressed. And I don't say that in a way to just say, oh, celebrate the, the grind and making it out. But it's more so of really just being able to set the groundwork for the inequities and the divide that exists in the city. Uh, because on the north, on the south side of Del Mar, there's a totally different reality. And I know we're going to get into that. Um, but I think it's important for everyone to understand my beginnings to understand what got me to where I'm at today. Uh, so growing up in that neighborhood, um, it was very um, distressed with crime. Um, I was talking to a older gentleman the other day about my neighborhood, and he was like, man, it was it was just so much crime that was rampant um, in that area. But if you go back the other day, while you don't see that same level of criminal activity, it's just distress. It's like a bomb literally went off in the neighborhood where my parents' house, their block, there may be one of two households that actually still live on that entire mm -hmm. block. Mm -hmm. So there's an extremely high vacancy rate in that area. Um, and again, I'm stating all this to ultimately get me to my point of, of kind of how it led me to this, this uh, position that I'm at today. So growing up in the neighborhood, uh, seeing these experiences, and then having the opportunity to be uh, part of the school voucher, school choice program, or the DSEC program, uh, being bused out to uh, Lafayette High School in the Rockwood School District, very affluent area in the city of, uh, not even the city of St. Louis, in the St. Louis region, um, in the Wildwood area. And so in that experience, I got to meet people that had a very different perspective on life than myself or anyone that I've ever met. And so their community looked very different than mine. Uh, they had all of the houses were intact. Um, they had land that they owned outside of just the physical building and physical home that they had. And they had stable households. Um, and then going back to the city of St. Louis, living on the north side, really the west side um, of, of the city, um, seeing that there was still so much distress there but not really understanding why that existed. Uh, when I graduated from high school, um, I actually ended up attending Rankin Technical College. So that's mm -hmm. what a lot of people don't, don't really know about me, is that <laughs> right. I actually went to technical school and got a degree in electrical control systems, an associate degree in electrical control systems. And then when I graduated, I said, you know, there may be other opportunities for me. And so I actually explored a bachelor's of science and business administration from Webster University, and then went on to get my master's um, of MBA, uh, business administration with the emphasis in finance. And that ultimately opened up a door to me to a career in real estate. And I started off as a research intern at uh, Collier's Charlie Morton Tucker, it's now Cushman and Wakefield, worked my way up to be a lease administrator. Uh, so a cool thing about that though, I wanna make sure I call this out. My first job out of college, I was probably making like $35,000, but it was the coolest job ever because I had leases that I was managing for Gucci, mm. Diesel, St. Laurent. That like, like should have been breaking you off a little, <laughs> bit, more. A little bit more. Right. Right, right? Right. No, no, right. it, wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. But it was an exciting experience because it was managing these high-end 
um, stores in the middle of Manhattan. I'm 20 years old, like going to Manhattan, visiting these spots. Mm. I almost moved to New York, so I don't know what my life would have been like had I moved <laughs> to New York. Probably want to start a dream builder. So, but I guess that was a good move, not going. But <laughs> overall, it was a great experience. Um, and from there, I actually uh, was a property manager for several hospitals in the region. Um, and so, learning about property management, understanding the ins and outs about what it takes to actually operate a property, working with developers on putting together their performance, putting together their operating. Um, uh, sheets and all of those different financial statements that are needed in order for them to um, to show their financial wherewithal for their financing companies and those sort of things. So that was a great experience for me. Then when I turned like 22, I said, I want to put my big boy pants on <laughs> and actually be a commercial real estate broker. And so one of my mentors uh, went over to Jones Lang LaSalle um, he was an industrial real estate broker. He invited me over um, and said, I want you to be uh, one of my new brokers, my junior brokers. And, you know, I'll help you with the first couple months on salary. And I went down to $32,000 on salary, right? Mm -hmm. Again, mm -hmm. this is, I'm like 22, 23. I'm like, right, cool, I'm going to figure it out. Right. <laughs> and it was 2008, like 2009, which was the, the toughest real estate market of my lifetime. And so the agreement was he was going to pay me a portion of like my, of a salary, and then I make up the difference on the commissions. I maybe got one deal done in a whole year. Mm. And most of the brokers that were very experienced only had one or two deals they mm. were getting done in a year. But it was a great learning experience. I, I worked with you know some of the top Fortune 500 manufacturing companies in the, in the state, um, and even in the region, I worked with a couple of businesses uh, across in, in Illinois and really understood, got, got a great understanding of the real estate game. Um, got to understand how does a large manufacturing plant actually identify their next headquarters? What do they need uh, for them to say, okay, yes, this is where I want to be at? Why is St. Louis important to them? And so that really helped shape some of my understanding of real estate brokerage and, and how we attract businesses to the region. Um, but I wasn't able to sustain. I don't have a nest egg that I'm sitting on or inheritance. Right. So I actually ended up moving in with my sister and um, lived in her basement for about a year and a half. Um, and instead of just wasting that time, I actually went to get my MBA degree. And that's why I chose to get my MBA because I was like, I don't want to waste this time. Idle time only leads to bad decisions um and so <laughs> and so i uh seen a a listing for a um a financial analyst for uh low-income housing tax credit projects and i was like oh that sounds interesting i know finance i know real estate it was at u.s bank um uh, community development corporation i was like i can learn that and so i interviewed for the role and then the first day I came in and the lady was like, no, you're going to new market tax credits. And I was like, what is new market tax credits? <laughs> She's like, no, that's the job that you had. Like, you're going to be a financial analyst for new market. I was like, I don't even know what that is. And so it was that experience of somebody referred me to somebody else and it's like, we want to hire you. And again, I knew absolutely nothing going into it, but I said, I'm going to figure it out. 
Um, and so that was really the primary focus. It, it met my mission of this is where I came. These are the communities that I came from. This is what I represent. And now I'm understanding how development is happening in these communities that I grew up in and how they can be transformational for these areas. But also I recognize that these investments were only making a difference on the physical real estate and the physical assets. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, wow, like, even though we're creating all these great buildings mm -hmm. and creating all this great investment, creating all these jobs, none of those jobs are being uh, created for the people that live in those areas. Mm -hmm. And so there was still this gap that needed to be filled. And me being, you know, my Leo self, <laughs> I can figure it out and I can solve the problem. Um, and then Mike, I met Mike um, uh, around the same time and him and I came together on my couch and said, hey, we should be giving back to the people, specifically the youth that come from the similar beginnings and upbring upbringings that we had to make a difference in their life. But we didn't want to do it the traditional um, philanthropic way. We didn't want to do it in the same uh, classic way of a nonprofit. We wanted these youth in our community to make a profit. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, 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 prof, the, 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 the structure that we created was really around our youth getting the skills to have ownership in the properties, for the residents to be able to take ownership of the properties after they're then sold from our youth who are then able to use the return on their investment, on their sweat equity investment, into their scholarship funds and other funds to realize their full potential. Um, and so since we started Dream Builders in 2016, we have ultimately supported over 100 students. Those students have earned over $400,000. Okay. Sheesh. You know, yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> They don't, they don't break me off nothing, but it's cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> the students themselves, again, they write books. They mm -hmm. own properties. Um, they learn about philanthropy. They learn about giving back to their community. So they really learn that their success is really only created by the success of their lived environment. And so they have, have this notion now that if I invest in my community, if I invest in my friends, if I invest in my family, that creates a better outcome for me. Mm -hmm. And so now they have more of this community mindset rather than this survival mode of I got every day I got to get up and make it for myself, mm -hmm. um, which is a beautiful thing to see in a transformation for these students. And so through this whole process, I had the great opportunity of meeting at the time treasurer to Sarah Jones. And so she was a huge mm -hmm. supporter of Dream Builders from day one. Um, we always uh, had conversations about how do we uplift our people? How do we provide financial empowerment for the black community? How do we make sure that our, our she called them kiddos, uh, <laughs> how do we make sure that our, our kiddos have access um, to opportunity and reach their full potential? Um, so when uh, she uh, was running for mayor, and uh, Otis Williams, the predecessor, my predecessor at St. Louis Development Corporation, uh, was decided to retire after over 30 years in the at, at the organization. Um, I was like, you know what? I'll throw my hat in the ring because I'm in support of her. Um, I want to see her win. I want to see St. Louis win. And this is the moment in time where I need to step up and 
put my best foot forward for my city. I think that your story is really, really powerful and really inspiring for a lot of reasons. I mean, number one, kind of like you talked about being rooted in where you came from, which I always think is is really important because all the exposure that you had is what a lot of people haven't had, right? Especially to this industry, to real estate, finance, commercial real estate. I mean, being the person that works in finance, the Sippers know I do Financial Fridays. I'm always hitting <laughs> on it. Like, black people, we have to understand yeah. this specifically because it's so critical to everything that's around us. And a lot of people don't realize just how much real estate development shapes the environment that mm. they're in and lack thereof. Um, and so to that point, I even didn't really, even working in the industry, understand what SLDC was yeah. and yeah. your role was until I started looking into yeah. this and really, and you started talking about this, the impact and the power that you have. So for our sippers, talking to somebody that has never heard of the organization in their life, what is SLDC? What do you do? And how is your role so pivotal to that mission? Man, that's a great question. Because before I took the role, I had no idea. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> so we're here. No, we're here. No, Go ahead I, and tell I, the had, truth. I had a perspective <laughs> on what it, what it could be um, and what's possible from it. But I think ultimately um, for you to understand SODC um, in its totality, you have to have some type of finance background. But I try to make it as, or a real estate development background, but I try to make it as easy as possible. So St. Louis Development Corporation is really responsible for creating opportunities for businesses to come to St. Louis and be successful, for real estate development to take place and ultimately economic development overall to be increased within our region. Economic development can mean so many things to so many different people. And so that's why it's really important. It was really important for me to have a clear vision on what does economic development in the city of St. Louis mean to me right. and how it will change the trajectory of our region as a whole. And so St. Louis Development Corporation, in addition to what is called the Land Revitalization Authority, which is LRA, mm -hmm. better known as, LRA is the largest um, land and real estate owner in the state. So it was crazy, right? So I take on this role. I'm executive director. I own all the I own more real estate than anybody in the whole state. Right? So that's it's cool. All mine. Right? <laughs> you know, not not bragging and that. No. <laughs> No, but a lot of the properties that um, LRA do, uh, does own is those that are, have been highly distressed. And mm -hmm. the reason behind that is the way that LRA takes possession of these properties is the properties that are sold for auction through the sheriff sale. So for those homes uh, or, or commercial properties or land that have passed through taxes, they go to the sheriff sale mm -hmm. um, or the tax sale. And then if they're not claimed, at the auction block, not even for a dollar, mm -hmm. then it comes to LRA. So we are responsible for managing all the property that don't nobody want. Mm -hmm. So I got all of the all <laughs> of the areas that no one really wanted, and I got to turn into gold. But it's all, all right. good. Like that's that's what I do. Um, but all the way from the LRA properties to negotiating like the NGA sites or the Major League Soccer yeah. Stadium sites. And so we have um, something that's called the LCRA, which is the Land Clearance Revitalization Authority, mm -hmm. in which we assemble land, clear land, for the purpose of development. So if you have a large-scale development like NGA, 
if we have large scale development like the uh, soccer stadium or ballpark village, mm-hmm. we negotiate in those contracts and those deals with those developers as well. Yeah. In addition to that, remember way back when I was talking about how do we attract, I was working with businesses to find their location in St. Louis and what makes St. Louis important. So now I'm on the other end representing St. Louis, talking to those businesses and saying, this is why St. Louis yeah. <laughs> is important to you. And part of that is negotiating the um, tax incentives um, to get to attract business um, and development into the city. Um, in the areas that would not, with, without the tax incentives, would not attract this type of development. Yeah. yeah. And so previously, um, tax incentives in the city have been used in areas that already had some development. It was just to get another development deal across the board. But right now we're focused on how do we incentivize development in areas that have been historically disinvested. Um, and providing opportunities for people to, to, to move into the Central Corridor and do development in areas that are already booming, mm-hmm. but we're not going to give the same level of tax incentive because it's not needed. Because when we give a tax incentive, ultimately that's taking money from the school districts, they're taking money from mm-hmm. the roads and yeah. other public services that are created to uplift our community. And so if we're taking from our community to give a track investment, then there needs to be some type of ROI on that investment that we're making. Mm -hmm. Return on investment. Yeah, return on investment. Facts, facts, facts. (laughs) And that's cool. Like, if you want to bring jobs here, then we need to be hiring from the school district who's invested into your project. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you want to have development that's here, then you need to be uh, investing in areas that are underdeveloped. And so those are the conversations that I'm having with developers and having with businesses. And I think I'm in a very unique position because I understand, again, the finan- coming from a financial Finance, a- yeah. analysis background is, I know this deal can work without this incentive. Or I know how much incentive is necessary for you to be sustainable as a business and attract other private capital mm-hmm. to get your deal done. So it's a different level of negotiation, knowledge, and skill set that I'm coming to the table with. Um, because I want to see equitable development happening. And I don't want to see us continue to take away from our school district, take away from our public services, our streets, um, our our lighting, our infrastructure, to pay for large-scale development if it's not needed. In some cases, it is needed to attract. I mean, we just made a big announcement. We're attracting like 400 jobs to the city of St. Louis. But we also have a community benefits agreement in place that you need to give back. Um, you need to hire from the local area in which you're moving to. And mm-hmm. so that it, that shows we're investing into these businesses to reinvest into our people that can reinvest into our city. I'm sure there's a lot that you're planning for SLDC in the coming months, being in a new role and new director. But for our listeners, could you give us a sneak peek and tell the people and all our sippers what's going to be different about SLDC under Executive Director Richardson? Oh, man. Executive Director Richardson. I can get used to that. No, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no but it, um, we really want to change that cycle of poverty and cycle of scarcity into a cycle of prosperity. And so those are the things that I'm really aiming to create. And we have the opportunity to create through St. Louis Development Corporation because we have the authority to to negotiate these tax abatements. 
mm-hmm. um, these tax incentives. We have the ability to provide development rights to large developers that are looking to do neighborhood level development or community development across a whole neighborhood and giving them massive development rights to be able to be successful. Um, and that's what we are discussing. That's what the conversations that we're having. But also we have an entire uh, division of our uh, agency. It's called the um, Local Development uh, Company, St. Louis Local Development Company, that's focused on SBA lending and providing access to capital for small businesses. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about economic development, I see it in four different pillars. Um, it's workforce development, it's business empowerment, it's neighborhood revitalization and stabilization, and then it's also providing an equitable and inclusive incentive model to ensure that investment is going to areas that truly need it. Um, so that's what I'm, I'm standing on um, at the end of the day. I believe in economic justice, fighting for economic justice. SLDC will, will always push for economic justice under my leadership. And I believe in this moment in which we have our first black woman mayor yep. that we have to give her the opportunity to be successful, support her in being successful, um, and stand, stand behind her and stand with her um, as we continue to move our region forward. Because um, she wants to see everybody in St. Louis succeed, um, just like just like all of us. Um, but we we also understand that we have to be intentional with our investment dollars. So that's what SLDC is for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what economic development means for me. And that's I don't know what it was before, but that's <laughs> what it's going to be going forward. So <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay. Um, so. Talk to us a little bit more about your time working in banking. What exactly does a vice president and director of a business impact group do every day? And how does one, I mean, you kind of walked us through our process, but how does one get to a job like that, especially within U.S. Bank being such a large financial institution? Hmm. Navigating a large financial institution. That's a loaded question. Um, I feel very... Um, I, I feel like my whole journey has been ordained and been been put before me, even though it's been riddled with potholes and, and barriers and challenges. Um, but within U.S. Bank, um, I, when I started at the CDC, which is Community Development Corporation of U.S. Bank, it was only about 90 employees. Um, I was one of two black employees at the Community Development Corporation when I started. And so, and we were at the the very bottom of the organizational org chart. And so it was um, an experience. Uh, But once the murder of George, I mean not George Floyd, Mike Brown happened in the city of St. Louis, there was this whole uprising. And I remember Zach Boyers reaching out to me, who's U.S. Bank, CDC CEO, and he said, um, what is it like to be a black man in the at U.S. Bank? And I was like, well, it's challenging because I don't see any representation of who I could become in leadership mm-hmm. positions. 
Um, and he was like, yeah, I, I see that. I can understand that. Um, and so him and I, from there, we started our journey. Um, we built a stronger bond and a relationship around talking openly about racial equity. Back again, this was five, six, six, six years ago now. Mm-hmm. And from there, I was able to really leverage that relationship um, to get opportunities to other areas of the bank that I, I wouldn't have been able to without his support. And I'm, and I'm willing to definitely say that uh, because I was exposed to what's called our Dynamic Dozen program within U.S. Bank. It brings in some of the, um, uh, the, the highest performing I'm putting air quotes. I can't see me air quotes. <laughs> Highest performing um, millennials and to to you know put forth ideas. Um, I was the only black person in that program at the time too, mm. and from there I was able to just build some strong relationships with people across the bank, navigate it, um, really show my potential, but then also being very intentional about what I believe in and what I wanted to accomplish. And being really unflinching about that. And not doing it in a way that's offensive, but in a way that's informative. Of This is my experience. This is the experience of other people of color and black people within this organization. But also, this is how this financial institution is being viewed in the marketplace. And if you all want to continue to be viewed this way, then that's fine, but this is not a place I would want to be or want to bank with. And I think that resonated with them. Um, and so being able to really lay it out in a manner in which it resonated and they responded to it. And then I also just worked my butt off because I loved what I did. Like I loved, I love real estate regardless. Like I love finance. I love numbers. I love community development. Like everything that I do, I love. So it's not like I'm doing something that I hate and right. I'm just like trying to make it work. It's like I love all of these things like in my heart. So it's not it's not, you know, me faking it at all. Um but it's really me being able to be my full authentic self but also finding ways to align who I am and my full authentic self with the priorities of the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked what you said about talking about the changes that you want to bring, particularly to the way we do development in St. Louis, because and you mentioned a lot of really powerful tools that we can add in the footnotes, incentives and different programs to bring development in. We've been focused on bringing development where it already exists. And so for your perspective, what do you think is going to be the challenging part about changing that status quo and convincing these business leaders and developers to come into these underserved communities? Um, And what is your plan to try to do that? So my plan to attract investment to areas that have been underinvested historically um, in partnership with corporations, our major employers, our anchor institutions, our eds and meds, education and educational institutions and medical institutions, which are the largest employers in the city of St. Louis, to say the things that are holding our city back, they talk about all the time, crime and lack of workforce. Yeah. The things that drive crime, as I spoke to, is the lack of opportunity. And Again, I say this, I say it again, that 
Poverty is the root of crime. And if people don't have clear opportunities to, to, to provide for themselves and survive and provide for them families, they're going to they're gonna provide, they're going to seek out alternative opportunities to achieve that. Self-preservation is the first law of nature. Like those are things that we all understand as human beings, especially those who have had, who's had to live their entire life with a survival mentality. So we need to invest into our areas that don't have jobs. We need to invest into workforce development. In addition to that, we need to invest into our small businesses that are trying to build themselves up but don't have access to capital to be sustainable. Um, we have to ensure that as these, um, our educational system is not being used as leverage for larger development to happen, that we forget about the school district, that we forget about the youth that are coming coming up in the city of St. Louis, but we are empowering them to have access to these opportunities all the way from kindergarten through high school and beyond. And also investing in our trades, investing in, again, that, that business empowerment component and making sure that our lived environments, that we tackle this vacancy, that we tackle, um, create opportunities for home ownership in our black and brown areas and do it in a very responsive, responsible way. Um, so those are the things that I want us to focus on, but also understanding that large-scale development needs to happen to create greater economic opportunity. Um, to create these jobs and to drive that drive that job growth, um, so we need to ensure that you know again we're we are incubating and creating that space too. Um, so as we're having conversations with these larger developers, these larger employers, that they can see how investing in North St. Louis, how they can invest in workforce development ultimately not only meets the interests of those neighborhoods and communities, but it meets their self-interest too. Mm-hmm. And so we're, because we're all in this together. Yeah. And McKinsey had a study that said if we're able to close the racial wealth gap, we would add $1 trillion to our GDP. I read that. I love that study. And so, but, but that's mm-hmm. important to understand yeah. because black people spend money. So I don't understand, like, why are we not investing into <laughs> black people having more money? <laughs> so I, don't, I don't get it. Um, but also we have to do, again, within our black community, we have to do a better job of, of saving and investing responsibly because in the, in the white and Jewish community, those dollars recycle for days and weeks. In the black community, the, do, the average dollar recycles in less than eight hours is out of our community. Mm-hmm. And so... But that's because we don't have the right institutions in place. We don't have the right small businesses in place. Whereas these other communities have a whole ecosystem of, if I get a dollar from my job, I can go spend that dollar at, my, at, at a white grocery store. I can spend that white dollar at a retail shop. I can spend that white dollar you know, in, in other areas within my community without even thinking about it. Yep. 
with black people, we have to be intentional about how we spend our money with black people. Like that's crazy, and go right? Find black-owned businesses and things that may not yeah, be. Yeah, but we have yeah. to have a whole movement around it and do whole yeah. research. Like, I gotta find a black restaurant <laughs> I can go to. <laughs> yeah. Because, right. but you know, like white people don't have to think about that because the majority of the restaurants are white owned. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's not even a thought. It's like it's it's a given for them. They take it for granted. But with us, we have to be very intentional about how we reinvest our dollars because there's not enough of us and it's not as common for us to just understand, oh, I can go into this neighborhood and I know this neighborhood is all black owned. So every dollar I spend here is gonna stay in this community. That's just not how our society has been set up and the times in which our society was set up for that and our communities were set up for that, it was raided, raped and taken taken from mm-hmm. um and that and bombed i mean just be honest about it i mean it was bombed and so i think us being very thoughtful about how do we create a system in which the black dollar recycles within our community but also how do we create institutions and programs that are embedded into the whole society in which everybody has an opportunity to create success together and so those are the things that i think about that keep me up at night is is not just how we recycle our dollars within ourselves but like how do we attract other dollars to our community how do we reinvest in ourselves and and that's that's what i want to see is for us to really build wealth outside of just being stereotype or stuck in this box of just we just have to support each other why can't we just be part of the overall economy and uplift everything and be part of the overall economic growth so those are like the things that i you know really care about and want to see happen yeah the passion jumps out i'm sorry it I'm jumps out no we want that we want that um so yeah. i think you've talked about it like your position holds a lot of mm-hmm. power and a lot of influence and um, you talked about this a lot. We talked about Dream Builders for Equity. Um, but a lot of our young people are struggling this year from lost jobs in their families, trauma from the pandemic, and just like a lack of direction and hope for the future. And so obviously I have to ask, um, so what future do you see for like young people in the city? And how will SLDC um, affect that around, around the city? So I'm going to hit on those four pillars. I keep coming back to these four pillars. Uh, so workforce development is key, uh, making sure that our youth have not even training, exposure to the various industries that exist. Mm-hmm. Don't force them down one path. Give them a, a, a menu of opportunities, of options that's available to them, and let their imagination run wild and let them achieve their goals that they have, their passions that they have. Because, again, real estate just happened to be my passion. Mm-hmm. Finance happened to be my passion. And it, and I was just fortunate enough to find a job that allowed me to live my passion and my purpose in one and be successful in that. So I think if we expose our youth to those type of opportunities, they too can find that out and seek that out. So one of the things that I'm doing with SLDC is connecting the St. Louis Public Schools to these employers, ensuring that Slate is at the table, SLPS is at the table, um, even Dream Builders for Equity is at the table. <laughs> you got to. You got to. <laughs> um, 
to make sure that we are, you know, empowering our youth and exposing our youth to the litany of opportunities that are available to them. That's one. Small businesses hire or more likely to hire youth. And if a black business, a black owned business is more likely to hire a black youth and a black person to work for them. And so it's investing into those businesses, ensuring that they have the retail space and necessary technical assistance, mentorship and sponsorship to be successful. That's the second thing. We must make ensure that the lived environments for our youth is not a war zone. Mm. Amen. We have to ensure that they're not seeing vacant, dilapidated buildings every day. That's their reality. That's their expectation of a community and that's not that's not reality but that's their reality and so we have to change that narrative and change that perspective and it comes from being able to ensure that we're invested in the infrastructure in these neighborhoods and making sure that they have the vision for what their community looks like and, and having opportunity to shape that The third, um, I'm sorry, the fourth key component is, again, equitable investment, making sure that we're not taking away from our school districts, but we're adding value to our school districts with how we incentivize investment. I completely agree. (laughs) I thought that you would. (laughs) (laughs) So it's making sure that the investment that really our school districts are making by foregoing those tax revenues, while it may be minimal in some cases, it's something. Um, that there's some return on that investment by the by the um, school districts through the taxing districts and the tax incentive financing, tax increment financing that takes place. Um, so those are the things that we need to be making, you know, making sure of that we're supporting our youth um, across the board. And so I believe uh, uh, in Dream Builders for Equity, a model um, of we have to focus on a whole community and that's why dream builders uses the number four is uh it's about the youth the residents the businesses and the real estate Mm. and so those are the four key stakeholders that drives a community forward and so that's what i truly believe is the um it's the it's the focus effort that we needed on equitable development all right well neil um, we are so glad to have you here today. So glad. So glad um, <laughs> that you took the time, the I'm executive so director <laughs> of SLDC, to be here with us, drop some knowledge and information for yeah. the people. Um, you know, me and Jamie, we started the show um, and in a vision, we kind of, I think guests like yourself are the types of people we dreamed yeah. of bringing on. Like in addition to us, obviously Jamie is like super into real estate, super yeah. into finance. Yeah. Obviously <laughs> I'm learning all about it in my new position. Um, yeah. But like what, what we really important? wanted to do with the show was to kind of like show the community and black people in a different way. Like there are so many of us that are better in the community that are pushing things forward and so many different lanes and we feel like there's often like a monolithic version of black people that people get so we're either like you know committing a crime or you're like doing some super extravagant thing but it's often like the same formulas of success mm-hmm. so I really like like I didn't we didn't even know you started at Rankin Technical College I, yeah. I really like all of the you you come from the community mm-hmm. you come from a certain point and you're still here but you've never forgotten the rest of your community yeah, yeah and that's kind of like why we started the show because we felt like we keep being in these community spaces these 
political spaces around power power builders and change makers, how can we expose the rest of our community to this in the same way that we're getting it? And you helped us do that today. Nah, and show that funny. everybody's a regular person, too. Man, I'm super regular. <laughs> like, I'm going to go home and chill out. Get something to eat. Get something to eat. Man, right. I've been taking a nap. So I probably got a bunch of stuff to do in the morning. But it's, it's the regular people that make the world go round. Um, and, I mean, I, I think we all are we all have the potential to change, make change and make impact happen in our community. It's just us willing to take the risk and, and having the opportunity to do that. And I really feel fortunate. Like I, yeah. I really feel extremely blessed um, to have the opportunity to be in a position where I can make a difference. And I don't take that lightly. Um, and I know I'm standing on the shoulders of, of many giants that mm-hmm. came before me. Um, that paved the way, and I've—I think the the biggest epiphany and the the thing that really gets to me is when I have conversations with some of the more experienced uh, Black people who've been in this community development space for years, real estate development, or just been just trying to see their community be better. They tell me like they're just so proud to have somebody that represents them. Yes. And like that, I don't take that lightly. Like that's real. I take that with me in every room I walk in. Like it's no, I don't, I don't play about that. Like I don't, I can't have a conversation and I'm not representing for black people. And this is the first time, like I had a conversation with Mayor Jones and she was like, you run this, you doing this, like this is you. And I'm like, wait. (laughs) <laughs> like, well, like, I get to do, like, really? I, you going to let me just do what I want to do? <laughs> like, and so I think for so long, our wings have been clipped. Yeah. We've been stuck in these cages of, and put in these boxes of this is what you can accomplish, and this is what you can do, and we always have to ask for permission. And with this is the first time in my career where I feel like I don't have to ask for permission to stand up for black people, and I never – will take that for granted and I will never not do the right thing by us um but also ensure that we're doing the right thing by our whole city yeah and I really want to show that like when we invest intentionally into black and brown communities we all gonna be better off like City, Central Corridor, downtown, y'all go, we go, we go still make it happen. It's still, we still go have the downtown cracking. We like can all thrive. We still go right. thrive. Like downtown <laughs> is going to be lit. Like I want to see downtown be Ooh, so bad, so yeah. great. And, but no, so those are yeah. the things that I didn't get to talk about. Um, yeah, is like I'm having conversations with like how do we re envision the whole landing? Like I run the Port Authority. Mm-hmm. through SLDC like yeah. I run the whole port like the whole like who what boats get to come into <laughs> St. Louis like that's right. under my purview which is insane and I want so it to cool. be something that's special something that actually is exciting for people to say oh I want to go to St. Louis because of their downtown I want to go because of their landing I want to go because their convention center like I want to go because of their different you know their ballpark village that they have like I but also when people come to feel welcome right and that's the difference is seeing all of these areas be more inclusive and inviting to everyone um and we all go be good and so that's why again I I'm I'm excited because 
St. Louis about to be lit. Black people in St. Louis about to be lit. <laughs> and, and our politics are already lit, so we about to keep it going. So, no, I really appreciate you all inviting me and salute to both of you um, for the work that you are doing to elevate these black voices, um, but also um, elevating the, the opportunity that exists for us when we put our power into play. Yeah. Um, and use our power to make a difference and being unflinching about that. So I'm excited about the future of St. Louis because of two black women that's leading this podcast, that's going out and doing big things, and y'all killing it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do y'all intro. Y'all killing it. And I want to represent for Alicia, who's killing it on the school board, and Jamie, who just got a promotion. You know, we're going we to represent and celebrate. Right, right. We gonna celebrate y'all, man. Y'all dopest, man. I appreciate again you all putting me on your platform and giving me a a voice um, today and with your with your listeners. So this was this was dope. I appreciate the time. Well, we appreciate you, and y'all heard it here first. We gonna put power into play, okay? Mm -hmm. Period. In the city. know who needs to hear this but it's a section of this podcast where we tell you what you need to know but you don't want to know but you need to know and i can't believe i just said that for the eighth time hello sippers so let's get into it i don't know who needs to hear this but shakari richardson and simone biles won the olympics period they are the ones who won the olympics and on that note i don't know who needs to hear this but we need to do away with these anti-black policies (laughs) marijuana restrictions in many ways and is an extension of the war on drugs which we know was a part of a larger white supremacist goal to criminalize and incarcerate black people they also have banned a swim cap called soul cap that was created specifically to better fit and protect black hair um so i don't know who needs to hear this but we need to do away with the way that anti-blackness still lingers in our policies across the systems and i think this gave us the opportunity to see how those things are manifesting within our olympic system so I don't know who needs to hear this, but Shakari Richardson and Simone Biles won the Olympics and all the folks that are hating on them and putting policies in place that hold them back, they lost the Olympics. <laughs> okay, I think you were a little strong on that. I mean, a policy, you know, I been there I by said. I, I, I feel you on my girl and supporting my girl. I feel that, absolutely. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but simone biles has endorsed emos so all the emos haters need to get to the back because my girl has spoken so y'all st louis had the honor of being the host city for the olympic gymnastics trials if you got a ticket i'm jealous i couldn't go i was mad and the goat herself posted a picture on facebook of her with the two emos boxes so for everybody out there that has been doubting emos will give you the strength of the goats of the hero of the olympics and you need to get on the emos train or get left that is all that's my feelings amen that's on st louis and that's on st louis